0: Did God have his hand over the founding of America? Was it a bastion of freedom or a center for slavery? What were Sunday blue laws and how are they connected to the mark and the image of the beast? How can believers stand faithful to God in the events to come? Join us for answers to these questions and more as we trace America's role in Bible prophecy from its beginnings all the way down till just before Jesus comes again. In 1989, a financial analyst from Philadelphia bought an old painting of a country scene for just $4 at a flea market in Pennsylvania, mostly because he just liked its frame and as he inspected a small tear on the canvas when he got home the frame began to fall apart in his hands and he found behind the painting an old folded document that turned out to be one of the first 500 copies of America's Declaration of Independence printed in 1776. At the time only 23 copies were known to exist and in 1991 He sold that Declaration of Independence for $2.42 million. And I want to tell you the reason why it sold for that much. The Bible says in Proverbs 29 and verse 2, When a wicked man rules, the people groan. After the French and Indian War in 1763, British Parliament taxed colonists in America, they said, to help pay the bills for the war they had protected them in. The Stamp Act was passed in 1765, and it enabled the British to impose taxes on every legal business document. Newspapers, books, pamphlets, they were all taxed. And Americans resented this because they were being taxed by a faraway government in which they weren't represented. British customs inspectors armed with papers from Parliament would enter people's homes even if they had no evidence of a Stamp Act violation, and they would ransack people's belongings all in search of this contraband. Soon, these searches, these warrantless searches became a rallying point for opposition to British rule, and a uniquely American view of power and liberty as natural enemies emerged. Americans didn't want a government that told them how to live their lives, what religion to believe, or what even to write about in the paper. They knew um, European history well enough to know that they wanted to set up a government without a king and a church without a pope. And so on the 19th of April, 1775, British soldiers and American colonists, they exchanged gunfire in Massachusetts, and the shot was heard around the world. It was the start of the American Revolution, the birthing of a new nation. During the war, the Second Continental Congress, you can look that up online, it acted as a national government for the 13 colonies who were rebelling against Britain. The Continental Army was formed to battle the British, and King George III declared formally that the 13 British colonies were in a state of revolt. In 1775, Benjamin Franklin said, rebellion to tyrants is obedience to God. In May of 1775, Thomas Jefferson, a statesman and diplomat, he was asked to put into words why the colonies wanted to break away from Britain. In 17 days, at the age of 33, Jefferson completed what was the first draft of the American Declaration of Independence. The founding fathers of America, they signed that document July 4, 1776. And at the signing, the delegate from Rhode Island, Stephen Hopkins, he famously said, My hand trembles, but my heart does not. The declaration listed valid complaints against King George III. He, it says, King George III, has erected a multitude of new officers and sent hither swarms of officers to harass our people and eat out at their substance. He has combined with others to subject us, imposing taxes on us without our consent. And it also, the declaration, outlined the legal and natural rights of its citizens. And this is a line you may be more familiar with. It said, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal and that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. It was the first country to declare its independence from a colonizing power in modern times, and the first nation founded as a democracy. Well, when the King of England read that Declaration of Independence, he basically said, and of course I paraphrase, I'm required to look after you, and you are required to do what I say. He believed that everybody was born with an obligation. But the beauty of the Declaration of Independence says we are all born equal which means governments can only do what the people allow it to do, and that requires consent, and consent requires representation, and representation requires a written way for this to happen, i.e., we're talking about a Constitution. Now, America's First constitution is not as well known as its current one. It's called the Articles of Confederation and it was approved by the Continental Congress of 1777 and it was effective in 1781. But this first constitution, the Articles of Confederation, failed. Why? I'll tell you. Mainly, it was because people were afraid of giving power to a central government and so they had a very weak central government. In the words of Alexander Hamilton, he said it was neither fit for war nor peace. You see, if just one state voted no on any amendment, it was rejected. Also, there was no executive branch of government to enforce acts or a centralized court system, and it didn't even have a national military either. Congress, under this, the Articles of Confederation, it had no authority to tax. Plus, states were unwilling to give money for a central government that they didn't trust. So it had no national currency, and each state just printed their own money. So. When the American Revolutionary War, War, it's a mouthful, uh, to gain independence from the grip of Great Britain and King George III, when it finally ended with the signing of the Treaty of Paris in Paris in 1783, the British crown formally recognized American independence. The Revolutionary War ended and America was officially at last free. It was time for the United States to form a new government. And so in 1787, the founding fathers convened to fix the problems that they had under the Articles of Confederation. And they decided to start on a fresh page. It was tricky business, but they pursued it with the faith in God and a lot of hard work. The founding fathers were well-educated students of history. And they recognized as they looked at the past that the underlying principles of law were the Ten Commandments found in the Bible and also the golden rule just from the Bible as well. In a letter to the legislature of Massachusetts dated January 17, 1794, Samuel Adams said this, In the supposed state of nature... All men are equally bound by the laws of nature, or so to speak more properly, the laws of the creator. Isn't that interesting? They saw that the unalienable rights were given by the creator, by God, and they could only be sustained in society if they were protected under a code of law that was in harmony with a higher law. That higher law being nature's law or The law of nature's God, the creator. To illustrate this concept, the commandment, thou shalt not steal. It had a corresponding natural right of the freedom to get and to own through honest initiative, private property. This law and this right, the founders believed, was of a higher order than any law that man could write. This belief... It opened the floodgates of progress, and millions came to the shores of America to participate in, I guess, the miracle of America. On the 17th of September, 1787, 114 years before the Australian Constitution existed, by the way, the 13 states met together in Philadelphia to sign the final draft, written mostly by James Madison, of a remarkable blueprint for self-government, it's called the US Constitution. This document was ratified repeatedly in the following years and came into effect formally in 1789. But this document was an amalgamation of the best ideas from state constitutions, the, the Articles of Confederation, and political philosophers from history. And basically, the founder said this, if government is made up of people, and people aren't perfect, then government power should be limited. For in the words of James Madison, we require to be governed because we are not angels, but government must be limited because angels do not govern men. And so a limited government to secure for generations to come the God-given rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, it was built on three core beliefs. Number one, the natural and unalienable rights granted by God, two, a written constitution, and three, virtue existing among the people. The constitution created a national federal government that consisted of a legislative, executive, and judicial branch and each with checks and balances so that no one person could run the country at any one time. They'd seen the King of England try that, execute all three branches and only to come to be the very definition of tyranny. And as we already heard, Justin reminded us that the idea of the three branches of government, it was actually gleaned from a French philosopher who found it in the Bible. Isaiah 33:22 says, for the Lord is our judge. That's the judicial. The Lord is our lawgiver and the Lord is our king. Federal government power was divided. Executive power, the branch most prone to being King Light, was given to the president and his cabinet. But it was held in check by the legislative power in Congress, made up of the House of Representatives and Senate, and judicial power given to the Supreme Court with the purpose of interpreting the laws and all of these important actions that the government might have to make, it required the input of more than one branch of government. So for example, Congress could pass laws, and then the president could veto them. Federal and state power in government was divided, and what emerged was a beautiful framework for freedom. But some still felt that it was flawed. They said it was flawed because it said what the government could do, but not what it couldn't do. And this is an important point because, you see, democracy and liberty, they're not the same. In a democracy, you have a say, but the majority rules. But liberty, liberty means that even in a democracy, you have individual rights that no majority should be able to take away. Four years after the Constitution was drafted, James Madison, who strongly opposed making any changes to the Constitution, he wrote up a list of amendments, 10 of which were adopted as law in 1791. And these 10 amendments became known as the Bill of Rights. They included freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom of press, the right to peaceably assemble and the right to bear arms. In the words of Benjamin Franklin, when religion is good, it will take care of itself. When it is not able to take care of itself, and God does not see it fit to take care of it, so that it has to appeal to the civil power for support, it's evidence to my mind that the cause is a bad one. The US Constitution was this bold experiment in democracy, previously unexplored by any nation in history, And it has worked for over 200 years because it is built on timeless Christian principles. And I personally believe that God has blessed the United States of America for acknowledging him in its Declaration of Independence, Pledge of Allegiance. It's in the national anthem and even all over their money. George Washington felt the same way, actually. In 1789, he said, The man must be bad indeed, who can look upon the events of the American Revolution without feeling the warmest gratitude towards the great author of the universe, whose divine interposition was so frequently manifested in our behalf. And it is my earnest prayer, he went on to say, that we may so conduct ourselves as to merit a continuance of those blessings with which we have hitherto been favoured. When I first flew to the United States, I was so excited. I I remember listening to Whitney Houston's stirring rendition of the Star-Spangled Banner over and over again. And I remember as I saw the mountains of America come into view for the first time from the plane, I was thinking to myself, wow, it's the land of the free and the home of the brave. And I never imagined that one day I'd marry an American too. But the first three words of their constitution are powerful. It begins with, we the people. And they remind us that the legacy of American patriots was a government by the people, for the people, allowing for debate and differences. Its power didn't come from a king or congress or pope as it did for the nations in the old world, but it came from the people. This is why Gladstone called it the most wonderful work ever struck off at a given time by the brain and purpose of man. And in 1829, Madison also wrote, the happy union of these states is a wonder, their constitution a miracle, their example the hope of liberty throughout the world. But there was a dark side to America's past the Bible even recognizes this dark side would exist. Revelation 13:11 says, "Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon." There's an incredible amazing contradiction of terms right here. A lamb-like nation with a constitution built on Christian principles. The Bible says would speak and behave, not like a puppy, but like a dragon. And for America, slavery was definitely dragon-like. Former slave Henry Garnett, he called slavery a monster. Ironically, when the Declaration of Independence was even signed, more than 500,000 slaves were on American soil. You and I think about this and we think, how could this be? Proverbs fourteen thirty-four says, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Was America great or was it terrible? Well, the truth is at the time it was both. The French and American revolutions were reactions to tyranny and slavery was a moral issue that violated the principles of the revolution as well. This was part of the lingering effect of the old world And Europeans were attracted to the U.S. with the discovery of vast mineral deposits and and other natural resources. But as they came to the U.S., they brought with them the baggage from where they came from. And part of that baggage was slavery. In the 1770s, African slaves made up a fifth of the population. And in the land of the free, the South's population was 40% slave. This is amazing because in the Declaration of Independence, Thomas Jefferson had said, and I've told you this before, all men are created equal. But there's this amazing inconsistency because he said that, and guess what? Slave owners agreed. In fact, most slave owners were even Bible-believing believing Christians. Yet Jefferson, who wrote those words, he, and even believed that slavery was a hideous blot and evil, History tells us that he himself was also a slave owner. And although he was married and had six kids with his wife, he also had a 35-year-long relationship with his wife's half-sister, who was also his slave. He had several children with her. And then when he died, uh, his children were the only slaves that he freed. And while owning hundreds of slaves, George Washington, he also condemned slavery But as he was leading the Revolutionary War, saying that people are born free, he saw the hypocrisy of this, and when he died, he left orders to free his slaves after his death. So the Founding Fathers, they knew that slavery was wrong, but they took very slow action against it. And we're scratching our heads and asking why. Well, it was because talking about slavery risked the entire Republican experiment The economy of the South was built on the backbone of slavery. Southern colonists, they relied on slavery on their plantations. It was making them rich, and they weren't about to surrender this without a fight. But a growing abolitionist sentiment brought the slave and non-slave states to a crisis point after a representational congress failed. The national political structure was revised again. And what was known as the Great Compromise was adopted, where in the House of Representatives, representation would be based on population, while in the Senate, there would be two representatives from each state, regardless of the size of the population in that state. They asked the question, should slaves count in the population? Because you see, this was important. Population determined the number of representatives each state had in the House of Representatives and how many electoral votes each state had in presidential elections. It also determined the amount of tax that each state would pay directly to the federal government. Southern states saw this. They recognized the additional power that they could have coming their way if slaves were counted in the population. And so they were willing to pay higher taxes. The states argued over this and finally compromised, agreeing that each slave would count for three-fifths of a person. The word slavery is not mentioned in the Constitution, but it's right there referenced, three-fifths of a person. And it's amazing to me that people were willing to break up families, to wreck lives for monetary gain. It just reminds us of how easily human beings justify inhumanity to others for personal benefit. This three-fifths compromise, it meant that the South had a greater representation in Congress, in the Electoral College, and this enabled Southern slave owners to win 12 of the first 16 presidential elections. On this the United States were very much the divided states. Ten states by this time had outlawed the slave trade, but three allowed it to continue, namely Georgia and North and South Carolina. So the ten threatened to leave the convention in protest, and another committee was convened, and another compromise was reached, which said that Congress would have the power to ban the trade, but not until 1800. They then extended the date by eight years and said 1808. During this time... Thousands of slaves were brought to America in the lead up to 1808 when Congress finally voted to end it. But South Carolina alone imported 40,000 slaves between the years 1803 and 1808. Many untold evils, rapes, and murders happened in the name of slavery. The last major issue concerning slavery was that southern states wanted northern states to return escaped slaves so that they that had found freedom there. And so a Fugitive Slave Act promising the capture and return of escaped slaves was placed in the Constitution in 1793, and it was later revised and enforced with greater power in 1850. This had a devastating effect on the nation. Some slaves were recaptured and cruelly, brutally branded. Thousands of slaves who had found their freedom in the North were kidnapped and returned to their former slave owners in the South, experiencing cruelty beyond the scope of words. The experience, by the way, of slaves in the South was on a par with the atrocities of the Holocaust. It was evil. Both fugitive slave acts were repealed by Congress in 1864, Northern states were very careful when they picked their battles on this issue because they wanted to secure a new government. It took years for the American Republic to approach the ideals that it had expressed in the Declaration of Independence. When Abraham Lincoln was elected as president in 1860, he boldly advocated banning all slavery in all territories, saying that it was unconstitutional. And quoting the words of Jesus Christ, Lincoln said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. He then added, I believe this government cannot endure permanently half slave and half free. A year later, tensions between the free states and the slave states reached a boiling point and the South attacked the North and the Civil War began. Interestingly, as you read about it, both sides believed that God was on their side. The North saw the war as a punishment for slavery, while the Confederates in the South saw it as a test of faith. In this war, 620,000 of the 2.4 million soldiers were killed, and millions more were injured. Much of the South was ruined. It was the deadliest war ever fought on U.S. soil. Harriet Tubman, she lived during this time. She was just five feet tall, born into slavery in eastern Maryland. In 1849, she had fled to Pennsylvania, which was a journey, by the way, of of 161 kilometers for our American friends, that's 100 miles, to freedom. But she went back to the South, not just once, but history tells us 13 times in the space of 10 years to free her friends and family. She's called the Moses of her people because during that time she rescued 70 members of her friends and family, including her precious parents. But when the Civil War began, she served as a nurse, a spy, and a cook, and she became the first woman in U.S. history to lead a raid in battle so successful it freed over 700 slaves. On the 9th of April, 1865, General Robert E. Lee surrendered his Confederate troops to the Union's Ulysses Grant, bringing an end to the four-year war. And five days later, Abraham Lincoln was shot and he died at the age of 56. The people who had so recently rejoiced at the end of the Civil War now reeled from Lincoln's shocking assassination. A French historian, as I wrap this up, a French historian once asked James Lowell, how long will the American Republic endure? He replied, as long as the ideas of the men who founded it continue dominant. You see, As you look back through history and you see the development of the US nation, you see that in a republic, the majority is sovereign. And the majority, because it is sovereign, it also becomes the most dangerous thing. This means that the greatness of America stands or falls with her people. Another French statesman famously said that America is great because she is good. When she ceases to be good, she will cease to be great. I'll end on this note. It's the words of James Madison. He said this, We have staked the whole future of our nation, not upon the power of government, far from it. We have staked the future of all our political constitutions upon the capacity of each of ourselves to govern ourselves according to the moral principles of the Ten Commandments of God. For a video of this series, visit our website at theend.digital or find us on social media.